Good morning again, saints. Hopefully you all are doing well today. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 6, says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please join me in prayers of supplication. Lord Jesus, you see the needs of your people. You see our emotional needs, our uh, physical needs, our mental needs, our material needs. You see it all. You are not silent as we suffer, as the world suffers. And so, Lord, this morning I pray into the sufferings of of our congregation. I pray into the sufferings of our country, into the sufferings uh, in the world. I pray that you provide healing. I pray for those who are dealing with the coronavirus, that you may heal their bodies. Lord, that you give wisdom to those who who are experts in, in this field, that they may be able to find out what's going on. So I pray, Lord, as your people, we will not just silently just pass through life as we see brokenness and sufferings around us, that we will bend the knee and pray, Lord. I pray for our government. I pray for the upcoming election, Lord, that you will be in that process. I pray you give wisdom, Lord, to our leaders, that they will govern well, Father. I pray for our marriages in this congregation that you would bless them. I pray for those who are single and they're lonely that you would bless them. I pray for those who are struggling with with addiction and, and sexual addiction that you will minister to them, Lord. Give them freedom. I pray for those who are jobless, those who need a home, that you will provide for them, Lord. That you will provide. That you provide a means for them, Lord. You are not a silent God. You are with us and we're not alone. Help us to see it. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn it to Genesis chapter 1. We will be looking at verses, verse 28 through chapter 2, verse 4. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Through chapter 2, verse 4. The Twitter handle, at Forum Atheists, tweeted a comment out this week that was intended to be a criticism of Christianity, but the opposite turns out to, to be true. The comment actually reinforces what the Bible teaches about our God. The tweet says, listen to these words, it's from at Forum Atheists. It says, Christianity, the belief that one God created a universe, 13.79 billion years old, 93 billion light layers in diameter. One light year equals approximately 6 trillion miles, consisting of over 2 billion galaxies each containing an average of 200 billion stars. This one God did all this just to have a personal relationship with you. Well, at Forum Atheist, that's not the only reason why he did it. 
he created it first for his own glory. And secondly, he fashioned and positioned a beautiful planet that's able to sustain life. Because if the earth was closer to the sun, we're burned to death. If it's one planet away from the sun, we're freeze to death. That's by divine design, not accident. And thirdly, he created humanity to enjoy and to glorify him forever. To be in a relationship with him. Theologian and priest and Henry uh, Newman says, long before we talk about original sin and original rejection, we should speak of God's original love. Amen. Y'all are good. Y'all getting good. You see, the six days of creation is God's original love on full display in 3D. Do you believe that? It's especially on display when he creates humanity to be the Imago Dei, to be the representational image of God on earth. That is love. The Imago Dei is love. The fact that you're created in the image of God is love. And we're going to continue to talk about these blessings this morning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, through chapter 2, verse 4. Now receive with great joy the word of your God and King. And the Lord blessed them, that's Adam and Eve, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And the Lord said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with its seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the field, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. This, there was evening and there was morning. The heavens and the earth were finished, all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because of it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. This is God's holy word. Please pray with him for me. Once again, Spirit, we come to you, and we ask that you would bless this time as we come to the preaching of the word, that you would take the preached word and apply it to our hearts, apply it to our minds, that you would do this for our good and for the glory of our God and King. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. The Imago Dei has many blessings for all image bearers, for all humanity, for all people groups, regardless of ethnicity, nationality, age, or gender. Do y'all remember any of those blessings? I know it was a few sermons ago. First, there's the blessing of wholeness. God creates Adam and Eve as whole people. Adam as a whole man, Eve as a whole woman. And the same is true for each of you. All of y'all here are whole people, even though each of you are beautifully broken. That is an amen statement. Okay. The second blessing is a reflection. That means all image bearers will reflect and express 
imperfectly God's communicable attributes. These are the attributes that, that have some resemblance in, in humanity. And there's three categories of these attributes. The first is God's intellectual and mental attributes. The second is his moral and ethical attributes. And the third category is his volitional attributes, which I started discussing with y'all three, well, two weeks ago. God's volitional attributes are his sovereign will and his sovereign power. These are also reflected in humanity as we express and exercise our limited will and power. Remember, God's sovereignty and human responsibility are two truths that run parallel to each other in this world. They run side by side. It's clear in Scripture that man is responsible, and at the same time, God is sovereign. You see, our sovereign God intends for his image bearers to, to be to be responsible moral agents as they exercise their limited will and power. To be responsible moral agents as they reflect and and express his volitional attributes. Well, what does that look like, Pastor? Image bearers are to be responsible moral agents in the fulfillment of the creation mandate. The creation mandate is a divine injunction that God originally gives to Adam and Eve, but also extends to all image bearers. And it's a blessing as well as a responsibility. Look at verse 28. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the living thing that moves on the earth. That is the creation mandate. And TVC Saints, there, there are three blessings and responsibilities attached to this mandate. And I addressed the first and second one two weeks ago. Again, can you recall them? There's the blessing of God's presence. That's first. That's communion, to be in a relationship with him. And second, there's the blessing of or reproduction. That's human reproduction in the context of marriage. And finally, the third blessing is that of rulership. Rulership is a blessing of the Imago Day. Look at verse 26, if you have your Bible. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And again at verse 28. And God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and have dominion over all the fish, over and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Humanity has the responsibility and the blessing of subduing the earth and ruling over all living creatures. That is another blessing, another amen. Well, what does that actually mean, Pastor Alex? Well, let's dig a little deeper in the text. The Hebrew term that's translated as subdue comes from the root kavash, and it means to conquer, to bring into bondage, to subjugate, to tread down, to oppress, to violate, to keep under by force if necessary, to dominate, 
and to enslave. Wow, that's that's some strong language. And it doesn't generate positive thoughts and feelings in you, but negative ones. And yet God uses this term right here in Genesis 1. And I asked myself this week, why use a term that has so many negative connotations to it? What is God's intention by using this particular Hebrew term? Theodore Hebert says, Herbert says, Kavash depicts a relationship in which humanity are positioned above the earth and granted power and control over it. John Oswald says the term in Genesis 1.28 implies that creation will not do man's bidding gladly or easily. That man must somehow bring creation into submission by mean strength. It is not to rule man. And another writer says the divine author is likely expressing the thought that we are not to let natural processes govern our lives. Except as if necessary to take advantage of, let's say, the seasons. But to worship nature, as the pagans do, with the belief that nature will respond to human needs, is completely counter to the plain meaning of the divine author's use of Kavash. TVC Saints, I believe God is using this strong term in order to make it clear that image bearers, uh, that image bearers, that all inanimate parts of creation are to be used as resources for their benefit. We are to shape and form and cultivate these parts of creation and so they'll be useful. It will require manual labor, sweat equity, creativity from human, from humanity, but yet we aren't to worship inanimate matter. We aren't to worship the plants and the trees. Image bearers aren't to worship the water, dirt, grain, we aren't to, to worship the stars and the moon, moon and, and sun, nor are we to abuse them. You see, Adam and Eve are called to subdue and subjugate the earth in order to make it useful. It is a blessing and a responsibility given to them and to us by God, and it is good. But do you believe it? Look around the sanctuary for a moment. What do you see? Every person here has on clothes. Clothing is one example of what it means for humanity to subdue the earth in order to make it useful and resourceful for us. And that is a good thing. We're benefits. Farming is another example of what it means to subdue the earth in order to make it useful and beneficial for humanity. Look at verse 28 again. There's another Hebrew term that, that is used that further highlights humanity's position over the rest of creation. And like Havas, it too is a blessing and a, response given, a responsibility given to all image bearers. But unlike Havas, this term is used in regard to animated parts of God's creation, the parts that have life. Two different terms, okay? One term is used for the inanimate parts of life, Creation and one term is used for the animated parts of creation, the parts that have life. And that term is radah. It's translated as dominion in verse 28. The verse says, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Notice what's not there. People. Amen. It means to rule. 
to rule over, to be, to be an authority over. Theodore Herbert says again, Radar grants humans the rights and responsibility to rule and to govern the rest of creation. It establishes a, a hierarchy of power and authority in which the human race is positioned above the rest of the natural world. David says in Psalm 8, verses 3 through 8, When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the, the heavenly beings and, had crowned, and has crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. This is David talking about us as image bearers. God has given us dominion over the works of his hands. You have placed all things under his feet, all sheep, all oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Do you all see and understand the position God has given humanity in the rest of creation? This is a privilege. This is an honor. It's not entitlement. It's not a right. It is a blessing. It is a privilege. It is an honor given to all image bearers. We're given the blessing and responsibility to govern all animated life. Beasts of the field, Birds of the heavens, fish of the sea, were to rule and govern them without worshiping them. Amen. Without making them into false gods, without making them into idols. They are not to rule and govern us. I don't care how bossy your cat is or how adorable your dog may be. The blessing and responsibility is given to you, not to them. Now, I know this language isn't politically correct. And some people might be offended. I get it. The terms subdue and subjugate, rule and dominion, they make, those terms make people feel uncomfortable. The terms can be trigger words from some people, maybe even some of you. Does humanity's position over the rest of creation give us the right to abuse it, misuse it, abandon it, or destroy it? Is God commissioning Adam and Eve to this ramshack the rest of creation? The answer is no. That's not our God's intent for our first parents. It's not his intent for us. Remember who we are. We are. Humanity is the Imago Dei, the representational image of God on earth. And as such, we reflect and express his communicable attributes. We're created to be moral, responsible agents who use our will and our power responsibly. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, the only continuity between God and his work is the word. But from day six of creation onward, man, the image of God, becomes the continuity. The blessing and responsibility of rulership means image bearers are to represent God in the way they exercise dominion and rulership. We represent God. And at this point, for Adam and Eve, rulership is functioning as God intends it to function. Subjugating and subduing the, the inanimate parts of creation is without sin. Ruling and having dominion over the animated parts of creation is without sin. At this point, Adam and Eve's rulership is under God's rulership perfectly. There's no rebellion at this point. 
There's no questioning God's word at this point. Everything is as God intended it to be right here in the first two chapters of Genesis. Turn to Genesis. Make sure I'm all right. Okay, yeah. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 5. The verse says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God has not caused it to rain. There was no man to work the ground. Then go to verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And then verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and keep it. Go to verse 19 now. Now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. TVC Saints, working and preserving the garden is rulership. Keeping and taking care of the garden is rulership. Naming the animals is rulership. You see, humanity's ownership of rulership over God's creation is actually stewardship, not ownership. Please make, please take note of that. Humanity's rulership is stewardship, not ownership. God is still the boss. It's still his creation. He has not said it's yours now. You can have it. Do whatever with it, what you want. No. He has not said that. God is the owner of every inch of his creation. And his image bearers are his stewards of his creation. Amen. Now, what does rulership look like for us today? For you and I. It means our rulership and stewardship are beautifully broken and sometimes heinously broken. Why? Because Genesis 3 comes. The fall happens. Our first parents do not continue in their, in their relationship with God in, in a way that, that is perfect, in a way that is, that is holy. They end up falling from grace. The way we subjugate and subdue the inanimate parts of God's creation will be beautifully broken and sometimes heinously broken. The way we rule and, and exercise dominion over the animated parts of creation will be beautifully broken and sometimes heinously broken. Well, Pastor, what does it look like? It looks like pollution. It looks like natural disasters. It looks like animal cruelty. It looks like the coronavirus. It looks like the abuse of human power, government corruption, and, and joblessness, and, and homelessness, and famine. It also looks like image bearers subjugating, oppressing, and exercising dominion over other image bearers. Look at human history, and what do you see? If I can get over on you, I will. Look at human history. That is an abuse of the creation mandate. So why do we have things like murder and human trafficking and all those things? Genesis 3. That's why. So the brokenness for us, there is murder, human trafficking, there's slavery, all types of abuse. There's discrimination, there's mass incarceration, there's systemic injustice, there's abortion, and there's even genocide. All of those things are brokenness as we try to exercise our dominion. 
It ain't ever going to be on this side of heaven what God intended it to be. Amen? But where's the beauty then, Pastor? If it's broken and sometimes heinously broken, where's the beauty? It's in the fact that you still see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, don't you? Don't you? We still see justice. We still see freedom. We do see human beings exercising their power and, and, and with responsibility. We see efforts to keep the earth clean. We see forgiveness. We see shelters for those who are in homelessness. The fact that Jesus came to make all things new through his life, death, and resurrection is beauty. Do you not know that? Do you see that? So do you, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? If not, then you got to bring your brokenness to him and surrender it to him. And if you do know him in faith, continue to bring your brokenness to him. Every moment, every day, every second, you got to bring it to him. He helps you see the beauty in your brokenness. But do you believe that? Because it's so easy to look at the world and as Christians and become hopeless and wash our hands of it. No. We can't wash our hands of the world. We can't wash our hands of culture. As Christians, we're eight, we're, we're walking testimonies of, of what God's grace can do in our lives. We're walking testimonies of what Jesus can do. And in the midst, in a broken and fallen world, there's still redemption. There can still be healing. There can still be freedom. We are testimonies of the fact that God has not abandoned the world to itself. The fact that Christ entered this world and is in the process of redeeming people, making enemies friends. Share that with your neighbors. God is able. The late Maya Angelou once said, every person needs to take one day away. A day in which one consciously separates the past from the present. The past from the future. Jobs, family, employers, and friends can exist one day without any of us. And if our egos permit us to confess, they can exist eternally in our absence. Each person deserves one day away in which no problems are confronted, no solutions searched for. Each of us need to withdraw from the cares which will not withdraw from us. Poetic words. Beautiful. And what do you think they mean? Rest. Everyone needs a day of rest. Rest, beloved, is a blessing of the Imago Day. Do you believe that? It's a blessing given to all image bearers. Again, regardless of ethnicity, nationality, gender, age, economic status. Look at Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The word says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Since God rested from his work, so shall 
his image bearers rest from their works. Do y'all believe it? Do y'all practice it? Rest is not a consequence of the fall. It's a pre-fall blessing. A benefit from God for all of humanity. It's a benefit and blessing that is beautifully broken. What does the brokenness look like? In our culture, in American culture, it looks like disvalue. Our society does not value rest. We worship busyness, productivity, and performance as Americans. Those are really our gods. Rest, who needs rest, right? You just go, 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 go. Like the Energizer Bunny. We go, 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 go. Brokenness can also look like being a workaholic. It can also look like laziness, not working at all. I'm a workaholic. I worship productivity. I worship busyness. I worship performance. I'm on cloud nine whenever I'm checking things off the list. You know why? Because I'm being productive. I'm performing. And that's why I had to change my day off from Friday to Monday some years ago. Because I ended up working more days than I took off. And I almost burned out. I did. It's God's grace that I'm still your pastor. It was one of the best decisions I made. Prioritizing rest over productivity and performance. One time I, I planned to work on my day off because I had a busy week. I wanted to get a head start on the sermon because sometimes it takes me a long time to get a sermon from nothing to zero, 15 to 20 hours. That's a long time. So I wanted to get a good start. So I left the house. I went to Starbucks and I got my coffee. I, I, I sat down, found my table I usually sit at, and I was getting ready to, to go to work, do some sermon prep. And then a voice came to me out of nowhere. And this is what the voice said. You don't trust me enough to take your day off? You don't trust me enough to take your day off. I was convicted, packed up my stuff, and went home. And guess what? The sermon was still done on Sunday, before Sunday. TBC Saints, the blessing of rest is about you trusting your Heavenly Father. It's trusting him enough with your job, your family, your career, your school, or whatever, in order to rest. The blessing of rest, hey, it would be broken, but it will also be beautiful in your life. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you should rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives his beloved sleep. He gives his beloved sleep. It's okay to leave here today and go home and take a nap. It's okay. Listen to your body. It's okay to take a day off. It's okay to, to, to take a three-day weekend when there's no holiday on Monday. It's okay to tell your kids, hey, I need a break. Go entertain yourselves. It's okay to do that. They're, they will survive. It's okay to say I need some me time. Rest is a blessing from God to you. Use it. Use it wisely. And for Christians, this rest isn't just a Sabbath rest. 
is also resting in Christ's finished work for you. But for us, we got double rest. We don't, it's rest from trying to earn God's favor and attention. Like you already got it. Resting from living like orphans. Listen, you can't enjoy what Christ has done for you if you're still trying to earn it. You can't enjoy it if you're still trying to earn it. Stop trying to earn so you can enjoy. Stop trying to earn so you can enjoy and start resting so you can enjoy. You got to rest in it. You got to rest in it. What has Christ done for you? He died on the cross for all your sins. He finished the work for you. And when you come to faith in him, you have all of God's love. You have all of his affection, all of his attention that you ever going to have. You have it to the max. You can't add anything else to it. If you can't see it, ask the spirit to help you to see it. Even when you make a mistake, you still have that favor. Even when you're under his discipline, you still have that favor. Resting in Jesus, resting from your legalism, resting from it. And if you don't know Christ, he says to you, come to me. All who labor and are heaven laden, and I will give you rest. You want true rest? you got to come give your life to Christ. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. you got to come. No amount of success in this country is going to give you true rest. No amount of money is going to give you true rest. No amount of glory is going to give you true rest. You know why? Because you can never have enough glory. You can never have enough money to satisfy what only God can satisfy in you. You got to come. Will you? On October the 6th, 2019, a gay Hollywood liberal and a conservative Republican president sat together at a Dallas Cowboy game. Now, who were these two image bearers? The talk show host Ellen and former President Bush. The image of them laughing together angered some people. I mean, people were upset. They, 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 they expressed their anger. You know when people get upset where they express their anger. They go on social media and the people went crazy. So, so Ellen addressed the criticism she received on her show from hanging out with, with the Bushes. And this is what she said. She said, I thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? A lot of people were mad. And, and when they, and they do what people do when they get mad, they tweet. So here's the thing. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't, who do not share the same beliefs I do. Just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to everyone, I don't only mean the people that think the same way you do. I mean be kind to everyone. Ellen's comments and her friendship with the Bushes are an example of another blessing of the Imago Day. It's the blessing of relational connection with other human beings even the ones who don't share your beliefs. All image bearers are relational creatures. Do you believe that? 
were created to be in relationship with God first and then in relationship with other people. You need human connection. You need human contact. You need human community. You need all three of those for your own development and flourishing. You need that. That is why God said it isn't good for Adam to be alone. It ain't just so he can have a wife. He needs relational connection with another human being. Yeah, he can be friends with other animals, but they're not human. And here's the thing. He doesn't even know he needs it. He doesn't even know he he needs that. God sees that he needs it, and he provides for him without even Adam asking for it. God provides a helper fit for him. He provides a wife for him, a wife who is is his like opposite, yet equal to him in his value, dignity, and self-worth. The Hebrew word that is translated helper communicates more than just assisting someone. In other places in the Old Testament, the term is used for military aid or help, like providing needed reinforcements in the midst of battle. The term is always used of God in the Old Testament, his divine assistance. You see, Adam's helper is a strong helper. As one pastor says, Adam's helper is a picture of God coming to aid and rescue man. That's what it's a picture of. Another theologian says, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to rule over him, nor was she taken out of his feet to be trampled upon, but out of his rib to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. What does that mean for us? What does it mean for those of you who are married? What does it mean for those of you who are not married and who are single? It means... All of y'all are created to be in healthy, flourishing relationships with other human beings. That's what it means. If you don't have no friends, that's unhealthy. That's not that, that that's that's unhealthy to say I have no friends. Because you are a relational creature. You need relationships with other people. Healthy and flourishing marriages. Is what it means. Healthy and flourishing relationships between males and females. Healthy and flourishing relationships between females and then other females. Healthy and flourishing relationships between males and other males. Healthy relationships between parents and their kids. Healthy relationships between siblings. That is what guys want. Relational connection with other human beings is a blessing of the Imago Dei. But like all the other blessings, it too is beautifully broken. It ain't ever going to be what God intended it to be on this side of heaven. So you need to accept that. There will never be perfect relationships. They all will have their broken places. You will get your heart broke. People will let you down. All friendships won't last forever. You got to accept that. So what does this brokenness look like? Looks like. It looks like kids growing up without a relationship with their father or mother. It looks like that. It looks like some kids been stuck in the orphanage all the days of their life. Been stuck in the American foster care system all the days of their life. That's what it looks like. That is not what God intended for them, but that's where they are because of the fall. It looks like bad marriages. It looks like marriages ending in divorce. It looks like strained relationship with family members. Strained relationships don't ever get fixed. 
It looks like toxic, unhealthy relationships with the opposite sex and with the same sex. It looks like abuse, physical, emotional, and even sexual. It looks like same-sex attraction. It looks like premarital sex. It looks like a painful, painful heartbreak. That's what it looks like. And where's the beauty? Where's the beauty? The beauty is this, that human beings can still have healthy and flourishing relationships, even though there will be relational brokenness. They can still be healthy. They can still flourish. The friendship between Ellen and Bush is an example of that. Another example of that is, is that healing and restoration does happen in relationships in this life. Reconciliation does happen in relationships in this life. And that is beauty. Freedom from an abusive relationship. That's beauty. True community. Kids being adopted into loving homes. That's beauty. Do you see the beauty in the brokenness? It ain't going to be easy, but it's still beautiful. If all you see is the bad, if all you see is the bad, then you ain't ever going to have no joy. You're never going to have no hope. God, your God is still at work. Do you believe that? Think about this. If we Christians don't have no hope, what do you expect for those who are not? Because it's sad. You have people who aren't Christians who are more hopeful than we are. And we have the truth. They have more joy than we do. Have more peace than we do. And we're walking testimonies of God's grace and goodness. Some of that is because of spiritual warfare. Some of it is because of our own, our own unbelief. Ask the Holy Spirit to give your eyes to see. Ask him. Christians, you need to lean into Jesus here in order to see the beauty in your relational brokenness. Lean into Christ. Because here's the thing. Other human beings were not created to be your God. Okay, other image bearers are not created to be your little Jesus on the shelf. They are not created that way. Your spouse is not created to give you what only Christ can give you. A relationship is not created to give you what only God can give you. You cannot do that to them because they're going to always let you down. They're going to hurt you. They will. It is unfair and that is it is not love if you worship another human being. That is not loving them. You can't worship them as your God and love them. Can't do that. That is not love. And if you are a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction, please hear this. There's nothing wrong with you. You just have a struggle. And the beauty is in you surrendering that struggle to Jesus every day because you know giving into it does not honor him never forget he's Emmanuel in that struggle with you and every day as you give it to him he's going to still be Emmanuel in that struggle so for each of us 
Whatever your relational struggle is, if you've got a bad marriage, you've got a strained relationship with your kids, it is you still can have hope. Do not listen to the lies of the enemy. Just because it's broken doesn't mean you just cast it out. You just fight for it. Don't look for perfection. Look for healthiness. Look to flourish. Saints. The final blessing of the Imago Day is the blessing of restriction. Well, what in the world does that mean? How can restrictions be considered a blessing? Restrictions are all around us. Your job has restrictions, right? Can you just go into your job and do whatever you want to do? Now, if you want to stay employed, you can't. Parents giving restrictions to their kids. You just can't walk up in the house and tell your parents, this is what I'm going to do. This is how things are going to be. No, you can't do that. Now, if you want a, a, a soft bottom to be hurting, no, you don't do that. See, restrictions are part of life, and they're good, and they're for your benefit. And they begin in the Garden of Eden with our first parents. Our God gives our first parents one restriction in the garden. And that restriction is for their benefit. It's for their welfare. He gives them freedom in the garden. But again, it's not, it's not unlimited freedom. It's freedom with limits. Freedom with restrictions. Right? Even as Americans, we love our freedom. But it's still restrictions on that freedom. You just can't go out and rob a bank and say, well, I'm free to do it. No, you're not free to do it. So there's freedom with restrictions. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, God says, God commands Adam and saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you do, you shall surely die. And in the Hebrew, it means exactly what it says here. And we all know what happens later. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, are going to bypass this restriction. They're going to rebel against their God, and they're going to enter into a state of sin and misery. And that is the state that we currently live in. But the table before you, this table, is a reminder that our God who is going to kick our first parents out of the garden will also provide a solution for their rebellion, for their sin, for your sin. And that solution is Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. The punishment that brings you peace with God is fully laid on Jesus at the cross. Do you believe that? His blood covers all your sins, past, present, and future. And it would never lose its power. Think about what that means. Think about.